Proverbs 17, we made our way down through verse 6, and so we need to pick it up in verse 7, um, but verse 6 is still in my heart, so I want to touch on it. So we'll pick up reading there. We'll review verse 6 a little bit before we continue. So if you're with me there, Proverbs 17:6, please say amen. amen. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. Excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. A present is a precious stone in the eyes of its possessor. Wherever he turns, he prospers. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger will be sent against him. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. And you kind of get the sense now that Solomon doesn't like the fool much at all. Verse 13, whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Verse 14, the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are abomination to the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you this morning for the text that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds that we may be able to hear what you would say, that you would open the scriptures to us, teaching us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I do ask that you would take away the things that hinder uh, the cares of this life and the burdens of this world. Um, Lord, I pray that you would even remove the distractions from the room. I pray that you would rebuke the enemy, push him back, Lord God, uh, not allow his fiery darts and his influence to affect us. Lord, that you would take this moment, this hour as your your time to have your way with us and do a work in us as we need it. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And for those of us who surrender the, to that, let's say it together, amen. 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 And so, as we begin, of course, last week in verse 6, uh, I thought verse 6 was just a very special verse for us to think about. Children's children, that's grandchildren, are the crown of Old men, obviously, we talked about that. Um, it's wonderful to see the uh, older people that we have here, and they've accomplished so much in their lives, and yet when you talk to them, they spend a lot of time just talking about their grandchildren because that's the important part of life at this point. What they care about is that those little ones that they're blessed to have and the next generation uh, that they be blessed and that they uh, know him. Grandparents are very patient with, with, with their grandchildren. Uh, some of the best relationships are between grandchildren and grandparents. How many of you would say amen to that? And yeah, it's a blessing to be able to have that. It speaks of, of something that's rich in the Lord. Um, and so we do know that, but the second part of the verse is where we had to tackle this thing last week and the glory of children is their father. Um, Solomon writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to his children. Solomon had a father who he said back in chapter four, when he was tender, his father taught him 
Um, his father instructed him, his father challenged him and gave him instruction on how to take over the kingdom. And so Solomon does have some experience with this. And to be able to think about this, the glory of children as their father, and I pointed out the fact that um, children feel safe. They have a sense of worth. There's a lot that goes along with them having and knowing their father, even though mom does so much and we can't live without mom and mom gets a lot of credit, but there's something in a child that causes them to desire to have a relationship with the father. It validates everything and it's the way God intended it to be. And so we talked about that. And one of the things I have to mention as I'm just kind of reviewing before I move on from this verse is that we have, a, we have single moms in our midst. We also have single dads in our midst. The world is changing. Um, and single dads are becoming a little bit more prominent than they used to be. Whatever the situa situation may be, what we come to find as we go through scripture is that we are complete, and we're talking to believers, we are complete in Jesus Christ. Amen? So, look, if you are a person without a parent um, in your life for some reason, without a, a mother or without a father in your life, you are still complete when you come to know Christ and he has a way of providing that which you need. And one of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is that we minister one to another often in the things that are lacking. And a lot of times single parents find the church to be a blessing because of all of the things that the body of Christ does to provide that missing piece that's there. Whether it's a uh, single mother with, 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 with boys and trying to figure that out. And the men of this church are amazing. We have a lot that we have strong men in this church, which makes a difference. Um, or even single dads here. And there's so many wonderful ladies here who, who can take on that pouring into and that exhorting role that needs to be there. So we are complete in Christ as we minister to one another and as Christ ministers to us. But there's still something here that we have to take note of as we look at this. And I want to just a little bit more before I leave this. I think God's heart for family goes beyond our understanding. See, family, meaning the family unit that God created, is essential to true health within humanity and even within community because it's through family that God works. He's glorified. It's his plan. This is the way he desired it to be. Um, he created the family unit to nurture, to provide for uh, uh, children, and it's the foundation of humanity. And he started with a man following him the way he did with Adam, and that man receives a precious blessing, which is a woman. We're going to find out in chapter 18 in a few weeks that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And so this is why when, when Adam saw Eve, y'all know this Genesis chapter two, verses 23 through 24, Adam said that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then Adam understood that this in this, this is the beginning. This is a picture. This is a, a foundational thing. And, and from this model, it, it will continue. He had that wisdom because he said in verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. They shall become this unit. From them, something is going to happen. He already knew that. And so the relationship of marriage, biblical marriage, produces fruit to God. Malachi 2.15 says, did he not make them one, meaning the husband and the wife, genetic man, genetic woman, only that could work, having a remnant of the spirit, and why one? 
Why, what is this mystery of oneness? We still don't fully understand it, but why one? Well, he says that God, that he seeks godly offspring. He wants a godly man and a godly woman to produce fruit because that's godly offspring. You know, that's the, the beauty of the continuance of not just humanity, but the worship of God. Therefore, he says, take heed to your spirit that let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Because during this time when Malachi wrote uh, in Israel, Israel began to grow complacent after their captivity, began to go back to their old ways. And the, they were within even the priesthood. They were uh, divorcing their wives and marrying the wives of foreign gods. And this was grieving God. He didn't like it. In that same chapter, he says that he hates divorce because it covers one's garments with violence. Um, and so God is saying, no, 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 no. This special thing, marriage, this holy institution, this is the foundation from here children will be blessed. From here, I, God, will receive, he would say, would receive godly offspring and worship will continue. This was his design. This was his plan. This is his heart. And so when we begin to see in a society the breakdown of the family unit, there's a real indication of problems. That's when we really begin to see things go the wrong way. Now, I, I should have given this map to the projection team in America right now, we have an epidemic, as I shared with you last week. I won't go through all of those percentages, but I will say this. Right now in America, as of 2019, um, it was 34% of kids in America are growing up in a single parent home. The majority of those are single uh, mothers. But when I look at the breakdown of where that was in America, you know, I, I almost wanted to question this study because I almost couldn't believe it that it is uh, that the highest percentage, which is 40 to 47 percent, are in only three states. And you can't believe it. it's, it's Louisiana, Mississippi and New Mexico, I believe that is. Blew me away. I was like, really? Whoa. And um, North Carolina is in the category of 35 to 40 percent. Um, and then there are some states like. Um, Iowa and Washington that where it's like 19 to 29 percent it's very interesting um, but it's a lot of damage happens in a society or even a people group when the family unit breaks down and understand it breaks down under the leadership of Satan and I'm doing really hard here not to talk about um, this in detail uh, yeah and so this is something that we need to understand. Now, I mentioned a verse to you last week, and I didn't expound on it. And I know some of you were wondering, what is that? But God makes a statement over, if you remember, in Malachi, last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. I'm going to read it to you. Malachi says, Behold, I will send you, speaking for God, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, Elijah was dead. How many of you knew that at that point when he said that before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord? He's going to send the prophet Elijah again. What's the purpose of doing that? In verse 6, and he will turn and notice the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And he says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. In other words, something needs to take place. Now, we do know, according to the New Testament, that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. We know that. We also know that there would be two witnesses in the book of Revelation, uh, most likely one of them being Elisha. But what's happening? In other words, there is a need in God's heart for something to take place. Remember, John the Baptist, when he came in the spirit of Elijah, he called them to what, y'all? He says, what? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was calling them to a state of repentance, turning back to God, because God is the one that brings restoration, not just to the individual heart that's away from him, but even a desire to restore the family unit, the foundational vehicle in which he created for humanity to thrive from. This is what God has done. Who are we to question it? This is why Paul said to Timothy that the last days would be dangerous. And I'm going to read it to you. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 on the screen says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous, that's dangerous times will come. Men will be noticed lovers of themselves rather than lovers of their family. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient. Disobedient to parents is, a, is just a, a byproduct of this breakdown. It's just this dangerous time frame in which everyone's moving away from God. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, that means looking religious but denying uh, its power, the power to change, transform, and and change a life. And he says, and from such uh, turn away, he says this would be the mark of the last days. So a breakdown even of the family unit goes par with the demonic environment of the last days. Isn't that something? This verse says, that children's children, grandchildren are a crown to old men. The glory of children is their father. We need to understand that the role of a man, according to God, is critical. When the world we live in says, well, you really don't need a man. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's irrelevant. You know, everything is irrelevant today. Gender, marriage, uh, how we parent, what a man is. But that man is critical. And if you're stepping in the gap for a child whose father is not there, then you are critical as a man of God to that child and the role you play in, in their lives. Because a father person in a, in a child's life carry some kind of weight because what happens is it has opportunity to set them up to come to know the Lord more through the relationship they have with the father. And that's convicting to me as a father. I don't want to do anything that calls, you know, a bad, to put him in a bad light because of my foolishness and not doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, because a lot of people can't, can't see God because when we think of God, we say God is a father and we pray, Father God. We start our prayers like that a lot of times. Yeah, but if he's a father and you've experienced a bad father, then you don't want nothing to do with the father. So it can kind of throw the wrong, it can kind of put a bad taste in a kid's mouth and so, or a person in an adult's mouth. So these things are critical. God wanted it to be a certain way. This is his, the way he's designed it. And his design is good because he's God. Amen. So we need to be mindful of these things and how we're conducting ourselves and how we're looking uh, uh, out even amongst ourselves. And so here within the body of Christ, Praise the Lord. We have the ability to minister to those needs and those lacks within our own congregation with the right heart to take uh, responsibility to be a part of the development of children who are rewards from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Amen. 
These are the things that, you know, we're the body of Christ. We understand that life matters because Christ desires all to come to know him and we work together with him in that process and how we conduct ourselves. And so verse six is critical and I want you to continue to remember that. Verse seven, we're going to make some, make our way now. We're going to cover some ground, move a little faster than we normally do. Notice excellent speech is not becoming to a fool, much less lying lips to a prince. Um, and, and this does not mean, and listen, excellent speech is not becoming of a fool. What is becoming, by the way? Well, uh, the word becoming, most of you know, you understand English, but it comes from a word to become, which means to be attractive, to be, to be tasteful. In other words, um, if something is unbecoming, then that means it's not keeping with the accepted standards of what is right or proper. And he says excellent speech here is not becoming of a fool because a fool don't even look right trying to speak with excellent speech because you know they're a fool and they don't know what they're talking about. And they're trying to talk like they know something because that's what fools do. And Solomon really don't like the fool. We'll go through this in a minute. Remember, kind of a, a loose definition of the fool that we've already learned is someone who will not learn, does not want to be corrected, does not want anybody to speak wisdom to them, want to do it their own way, and they're not going to listen. And so you can speak to them, but they will not hear you. They're going to do it their own way anyway. And so this is a fool, a fool having excellent speech. The two don't match. No more than lying lips to a prince. A prince is someone who comes from uh, a family of royalty. They have responsibility to care for people, to, to do the right thing. And so he's comparing this, but just to remind us that excellent speech coming from a fool, he's saying this, don't be fooled by it, is what Solomon is getting at. And as we go through this, we're going to learn that it's very important to identify a fool and understand how to... Uh, how to interact with the biblical fool. Um, you need to be careful. Um, and we're going to see that as we continue to go through this. So I'll continue for now. Notice he says in verse 8, a present is like a precious stone in the eye, in the eyes of its possessor. And then it says, wherever he turns, he prospers. Now, a present here in, in the Hebrew, it could mean gift. It could mean reward. It, it could actually, and it's translated bribe seven times. It's even translated bribery. Um, and so it can go either way. Now, if it's a gift or a reward, we understand it because in our natural mind, we love to get gifts and we love to get rewards. I love gifts. If you give me a gift, I'm going to cherish that gift probably more than what I bought for myself because you thought enough of me to give it to me. And so I, I cherish those things. If I get a reward, I'm thankful. That's, that means that I earned something or I worked for something and I, and I received it. And so those are good things from that perspective. But what he's actually saying then is that those gifts or those rewards, they have a, an effect on me as intended. In fact, let me read it to you this way because it's more in line with bribery. The King James says it this way. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that have it. And then it says, whithersoever it turneth, it prospers. And that puts it back on the gift. In other words, wherever it turns, it prospers, meaning that the person receiving it, it steams it so highly that the gift accomplishes what the giver was intending and vice versa. So in other words, a gift or a reward given 
causes someone joy or a sense of accomplishment and therefore it's done what it intended to do. That's what you were trying to do if you gave a gift in the right heart. But in the sense of a bribe, it speaks of character issues. You've given a bribe in order to gain something from the person that you bribed. And because they long for this in the wrong heart, this, 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 this gift to get something uh, in the wrong manner to, to, to give away or disregard their responsibility in order to take a bribe, then it's going to have the desired effect. The lobbyist who pays off the politician prospers from uh, the, 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 the policy that the corrupt politician passes and the politician thinks that they got what they want. And so it kind of goes that way. And, and look, Solomon is going to continue to hit on this. In chapter 18, verse 16, Solomon says it this way. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, when I listen to the prosperity gospel people teach this in times past, they want to say, oh, your spiritual gift will make room for you and you'll, you'll, you'll benefit financially from it. You know, anybody ever heard it taught that way? A few of you. And that's not really what it's getting at. A man's gift will make room for him. Well, what is uh, Solomon's? saying well a man's gift is going to get doors open for him because he's giving a gift 19:6 Proverbs 19:6 says many entreat the favor of the nobility and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts well, everybody wants to be friends with the person who gives gifts he giving out stuff then you want to hang out with him because you're going to give something and so this is why a lot of times, it's the most generous donor that is honored by things being put in his or her name. This is why businesses and famous people are so generous, uh, not because they just are, but because beyond the tax breaks, the image and the recognition that they get from it is something. And this is why I often miss out on deals, because I've got to ask the question, well, what's in it for them? Because I don't trust nobody. So if you giving me you giving me gifts, I'm thinking, well, what's in it for them? What, what's their what's their angle here? You know, uh, because often y'all know gifts come with expectations. Proverbs twenty one fourteen says, a gift in secret pacifies anger, and a reward in the bosom of strong wrath. In other words, some people use gifts to you know basically buy people off, cool people down, and and, and things of that sort. So I think we have to understand and be careful with gifts knowing from whom we are receiving the gifts. If you know it's a, a gift from someone who, is, who loves you and has your best interests at hand and want to bless you, that's good. And that's what often happens like within fellowship with the, the body of Christ where someone is moved on by the Lord to want to bless someone who's in need because they're going through something or they're lacking something and the Lord moves on you and you give. That's something different and I think that's good and God does that um, and God works through that kind of stuff. Um, but I think that we just need to make sure that we're careful with gifts and we understand gifts and how they should work and that gifts should be done with the right heart and the right motive all, all the time. Uh, and I'm just leery of people who are quick to give gifts, you know. Now, some people, listen, some people have that as a gifting, meaning that they're generous by makeup. You ever met anybody like that? Man, they always are just giving just because they, they love to do it. They love to bless people, and it's with a right motive. And, and those people are usually filled with joy, and they never lack anything themselves. So that's a good thing. I think that's a blessing. So just be mindful of those things. Y'all doing all right?
verse 9. Look at this. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. What does that mean, he who covers a transgression? It doesn't mean that he's covering it up for the sake of covering it up. No, he who covers a transgression seeks love. How do we know? Because he's kind of being Christ-like. You see, Christ, if you will, covered, even took away our transgression because he loved us. How do we know? Well, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love in that Christ, while we were still sinners, died for the ungodly. Did he not? Okay, so Christ died to take away our sin because he loves us. So when we do this, we're being Christ-like. So when we cover someone's transgression as opposed to humiliating them by exposing it, that we may restore them, we're actually being like Christ. In other words, when you see something that's not public, but it's a transgression or sin in somebody's life, and you have the ability to come alongside and exhort and, and, to, and to pray with and, and be a part of the restoration of that person's walk with the Lord by covering that sin and exhorting them, you have the ability to love them with the love of Christ, and it's through that love that they may, bro- be, may be broken down to a place of repentance. But I think that we in the body of Christ have to learn this because often what happens is that we don't conceal it, but we want to expose it and allow them to be humiliated because that's the environment that we live in today. See, the environment we live in today is somebody messes up and it goes around social media a million times before anyone stops to minister to the person because that's the way we live. But we're the body of Christ, so we have to be different. So we don't go social media. We don't pull out the phone to record our brother or sister in their moment of humiliation. We first say, no, wait a minute. Maybe there's opportunity here for me to come to that person. And whether it's in love, correct, rebuke, sit down, exhort, whatever the case may be. Notice the second part of the verse, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So in other words, by exposing or by repeating, we can only bring damage. We can't help the situation at all. We can even separate friends. We can destroy relationships. There's absolutely nothing we can do to cause anything good to happen in a situation like that. Solomon is pointing that out because he wants us to think about it. He wants us to understand it. We are the body of Christ, so we're different from the world. So that's the thing. When you see something happen in the world, everybody's got their fun. I can't even believe the environment we live in. Isn't it crazy? I mean, you watch people with their heads down constantly in the screens. That's what they do. Then they look up, something happens. Bam, here's my opportunity to get some views and maybe go viral. That's, that's the mentality as opposed to thinking, whoa, here is a person, here's a soul. How can Christ minister? We got to be mindful of that. All right. Verse 10. Notice it says rebuke is more effective for a wise man. I love this coming right after verse 9. than a hundred blows on a fool. A hundred blows. Exaggerated. Usually they would give 40 blows to someone who, done, who did something in, in the old, in the, in the ancient days, um, even during the time of Christ. A hundred blows. In other words, he's saying you can beat a fool a hundred times and it won't change nothing. They're still going to be a fool. But a wise man, listen, a wise woman, rebuke is all they need. When you rebuke someone, you're not beating them. You're exhorting them. And see, somebody with the wisdom of God will receive, will hear the rebuke and make changes. That's the difference between a fool and a wise man. 
And see, a wise man already understands that he doesn't have all knowledge within himself and he needs to sometimes be corrected and he's open to it. And this is why when we're with amongst one another within the body of Christ, listen, the wisdom of the Lord says when you're amongst the body of Christ, you need to be open to the possibility of a rebuke or a correction or an encouragement. And you should expect it. Why? Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that we who are born again, we have received the Holy Spirit and he distributes gifts to us. Does it say for our own benefit? For the benefit of who then? That's right. So your gifting is for the benefit of the church. If that's the case, when I'm in the midst of the church, I shouldn't be surprised if the Holy Spirit gives a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge or an exhortation to someone within the body who then comes to me and delivers it, not even realizing fully what's going on, but being obedient to the Holy Spirit. And I should be open to receiving that because, hey, that is how the Holy Spirit works in our midst, which is why he says, do not forsake the gathering. You need to be in fellowship because that's where iron sharpens iron. And that's where when we are being too pigheaded to hear from the Lord or we're ignoring him, I mean, we come to worship and you can't ignore him because he'll bring somebody from the left or the right to walk right up to you. And as soon as they begin to talk inside, you know that it's the Holy Spirit. And they'll be like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know why I, I'm telling you this. It's just it's heavy on me to say this to you. You kind of got to receive it. But if you go back to verse nine, maybe God will use you in that situation and something gets exposed in that moment. Well, that's not opportunity for you to then repeat that issue, but to conceal that issue in restoration through prayer and through exhortation and through helping that person. Because that's how the spirit will work in our midst if we're open to the Holy Spirit. And when we come to church, every last one of us need to realize that we are not exempt from God speaking to us in this kind of way. Does this make sense? Yes. And we need to be open to it. God is God is powerful in that way, and I've received many myself, and it's always a blessing because once you realize it's the Lord, it's refreshing because, look, Jesus only wants what's good for me. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and call according to his purposes. So those all things can be some difficult things or some easy things, but all working together to make me more in the image of Christ, right? So we need to be open to those things when we come together. You come to church with pride, like you can't hear from nobody, like you know everything, then, then you know, I hate that for you. Because I ain't going to end well. Because God is resisting the proud. He's only giving grace to the humble. So be open when you show up. Hey, you're in the midst of a bunch of spirit-filled people, and the, the look, the Holy Spirit can tap any one of them at any moment, and you can get a word, and you're going to have to be able and ready to receive it. Verse 11 says, and an evil man, look at this, seeks rebellion. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. A cruel messenger. That sounds scary. An evil man seeks rebellion. Rebellion is to knowingly, purposely go against God. Okay? An evil messenger is a, represent, a representative of, of God in some way. It could be an angel. could be someone. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked king, was a messenger for Judah who was in rebellion against God. So he sent Nebuchadnezzar to deal with them in the Old Testament. And so the evil 
the rebellious person who continues to rebel against God at some point may receive a representation of God. In other words, God allowing them to go through something in order to bring them to the place of repentance. And sometimes even to check our pride. In the New Testament, Paul said that he had received so much revelation about the things of God that his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, we don't know. But he called that thorn in the flesh, he actually called it a messenger in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Go look at it in your own time. But he called it a messenger of Satan sent to, if you will, buffet him that because of his much revelation, what Paul was saying is that so that he would not be puffed up with pride, God had allowed this thing in his life. Paul said he prayed three times that God would remove it. And God said, nope, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, that's where I'm glorified. That's where I'm strong. And Paul, maybe he needed that. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was, he was very well educated, and, and, uh, and he had received a lot of revelation from the Lord. And so that he wouldn't get puffed up, God allowed this thing in his life. Ain't that something? And so God is the one who, in the end, is trying to deal with us to bring us to repentance and salvation. So when people come to me and they say, hey, I got a wayward child. I got a loved one, someone I care about that I'm praying for. They don't know the Lord. And I always say to them, listen, are you really ready for the Lord to get a hold of them? Because he might, he's going to do so by any means necessary. In other words, he may use difficult, difficult things in order for them to come to faith. Like I told you last week, the most difficult things in my life I'm thankful for because it brought me closer to the Lord. This goes against the prosperity teachers, but this is truth. So here's the thing. What would you rather happen in that person's life whom you love? That they are just blessed and everything goes well for them and they do really well in this life and then they go to hell. Or would you prefer God break some knees and put them down, you know, to where they finally call on him, but they have eternity in Christ. These are things that we got to think about. Biblical worldview is what I'm saying. And I, you know, I'd rather somebody go through something and come to faith than have everything work out for them and go to hell. Well, if I feel that way, I know the Lord does. And so he works on people. He put Paul on his back on the road to Damascus before Paul finally broke and said, okay, you know, who are you, Lord? And what, what do you want me to do? You know, sometimes God has to deal with us. Some people get saved easy. They hear the gospel. It's man, this is good. And they repent and get saved. Others got to go through hell first because they are too rebellious and, and too stubborn just to give in and repent. And that's the way it is sometimes. All right. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. I, this verse I don't like. I would rather meet the fool than the bear. <laughs> I was actually watching a video this week of a man who was on the trail. He came across and he had a GoPro or something on because he was recording it. He came across a, uh, a brown bear, a grizzly, and two cubs. She had two cubs with her. And so I guess he had learned not to turn around and run because I guess that does something to the grizzly bear. It just puts them on the chase. So he begins to back up fast. And um, next thing you know, what happened was the cubs took interest in him. So they, they begin to run, too. They want to they wanna play with him, you know. You know, that ain't going to go well. So now he's running backwards. I'm thinking any moment he's going to trip on a root and they're going to eat him. Um, <laughs> but the Cubs eventually got distracted and, and got into something else, and he was able to get free. 
So I don't know about Solomon here. I think Solomon is just trying to make a point to us. That's all he's doing. He's trying to make a point. The point he's trying to make is that a fool in his folly, spiritually speaking, is way more dangerous than a bear with her cubs who's lost her cubs. Because a bear who's lost her cubs is out for vengeance. He's saying a fool in his folly is worse than this. Can you imagine that? What does that look like? I was watching a um, Christian coach this week. He was um, exhorting his football team after practice. They, were, they had a bye and they were going home for Thanksgiving. And, you know, he was exhorting them. He says, listen, guys, God has been good to us this season, going to play for the championship, and, and, and God is doing something in your life. And he said, when you go home, he said, don't you go hanging out places you shouldn't be with people you shouldn't be you need to be mindful that everybody is not out for your good and you need to be careful and I think this is what Solomon is even saying to his children don't hang around the fool when you realize that he or she is a fool once you realize there's no wisdom of the Lord in them and they don't want to hear the wisdom of the Lord then they can't offer you anything good and they can't lead you anywhere good and you're setting yourself up to go down and so you need to learn to limit your interaction with the fool. You're giving them the gospel. You're exhorting them. You're realizing that that's falling on deaf ears. You pray for them, but you don't give your life to them. You don't hang out with them. You don't, you don't begin. It can't be fellowship. Fellowship means to have all things in common, meaning in Christ. Okay? So you can have fellowship with those who love the Lord the way you do, and then everybody else's ministry to some degree. Does that make sense? And you got to be mindful of that. Um, verse 13. We're doing good. Whoever rewards evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. That makes perfect sense. And one commentator wrote it this way. To render good for evil is divine because Christ did that. He prayed for those who, who were crucifying him. To render good for good is human because we tend to want to be good to those who are good to us. That's human. To render evil for evil, that's brutish. That's just two brutish people duking it out. But to render evil for good, that's devilish. So when you render evil for good, you're being like Satan. Someone has done something and meant it for good, and you're turning around and then rendering evil towards them. Solomon is saying that's kind of the worst way to be, and that's being more like Satan himself when we do that. And so we need to be mindful of these things. And there are many in this earth who are rendering uh, evil for good, and God is seeing that, and God is going to deal with it. In fact, even, even the way things are, 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 are taking place in the world right now, we're seeing this more and more and more, and the Lord is going to come and deal with that. Verse uh, 14, I want to kind of get close to an end. Verse 14, notice it says, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. What does Solomon mean by it's like releasing water? Because a lot of times when we turn on the knob, you know, there are times you can get it to a drip. You know, we think about it differently. Um, that's not what he's talking about. Water is actually very powerful. We don't think about it, but it's very powerful. In the 1800s, they used to use um, hydraulic pressure in mining. They figured out that they could use water to mine. And so what they would do is that they would use gravity to feed water through a pipe. 
and then it would go for a short distance and then they would step the pipe down to a smaller pipe and then they would keep doing that until it built up so much pressure that they were able to, 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 to aim that water at a hillside and literally wash the hillside away and use that to mine. They could, they could, they could mine so much uh, material and dirt that way that you would normally not be able to get to just to get the gold out of the side of a mountain. And when they would release, you release that much water pressure, it literally will dig a ditch right in front of you. So much pressure, it washes the, uh, the dirt away. And you can see that at times in violent storms. So water can be very powerful. So what Solomon is actually saying at the beginning of strife is like releasing water. At the beginning of strife, it's kind of like all the emotion, all the anger, all the hostility flies out in such force that it almost always causes hurt and damage in the lives of those around. That's what he's getting at here. So he says, since it's that way, therefore stop contention, he says, before a quarrel starts. And you kind of got to know yourself. Because if you're a hothead, this means that you got to pray before you have conversations. Otherwise, you're going to act in the flesh and you're going to hurt someone, whether physically or emotionally. And so if you know that about yourself, you know, because some people, their fuse is very short, hot-headed, don't take anything for that to happen. You know, others are completely passive and they almost will never act in rage. And then some of us, myself, we're kind of in between somewhere. But you got to know before you have any difficult conversation with anyone and there's a difficult thing going on, it's best to put your heart and mind to prayer first or else you're going to flesh out. And I see this all the time when counseling married couples. A lot of conflict in marriage comes just because the two people are different and they're on opposite ends of this. And so you got one spouse who can't move forward until everything gets talked out. They feel like there's no closure until they, they resolve it. They've got to be talking about it. Got to resolve all of it right now. And then the other spouse needs to process, so they need time to think about it. So when you got these two people together, there's always going to be conflict because one person is pressing to get it resolved right then, and the other person needs time to think through it. And because the other one is pressing, they end up in a fight. Then it gets worse than it needs to be. Wisdom would say, recognize where you are and act accordingly. If, if, if you know your spouse needs time, then give them a little time and you go pray. By the time you finish praying, your heart will be right. And then y'all can meet in the middle and resolve. And, then, and if you know that you're passive and you don't like to deal with anything and it's driving your spouse crazy, then you need to repent and go have the conversation. So then you meet in the middle after praying and then everything, everything kind of gets resolved. And it's the same way with any relationship. We need to be extremely careful because he's saying here that just like the power of water to wash away huge amounts of land, you can see when tsunamis come in, they just drag buildings out in the ocean. It's just powerful when you think about water when it's loosed. In Roanoke Rabbits, a city where I used to manage a branch when I was working full-time for the bank, when Floyd came through, man, trailer parks, man, it, and, and, you know, you had boats and cars and trailers all on top of each other. Stuff them floated around and stuff. I mean, just like that, one, just over the course of a night, all of that happened. It's amazing the power of water and wind. He's saying, hey, so is contention and quarrels. We as believers have a responsibility to understand this and check ourselves. Am I right? Yes. Yep. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what we used to say all the time. <laughs> 
or somebody else. Verse, oh, remember what James says. James says, James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anytime you act in anger, you are going to cause problems. Anger is flesh. It doesn't resolve anything in a godly way. Um, verse 15, look at verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just both of them alike are abominations to the Lord. Now, remember, as we've been studying through the book of Proverbs, we've seen this word abomination over and over and over and over. And so I've defined it for you. But an abomination means something that is detestable to the Lord, something that disgusts him. It's, it's something that he wants he, uh, nothing to do with. It's against him and it, it, it causes a disgust. And we see um, several things in the Old Testament that are mentioned to be an abomination. For example, you remember we saw... Um, and we've seen in the Old Testament, um, and, and this would put the LGBTQ environment in, in the sense of being an abomination to the Lord. Well, why is it an abomination to the Lord? Well, because it's against his creation. It's against the way he intended it to be. And it can't produce, as we discussed earlier, fruit. And so it's, it's not right. Anything that we get um, in the natural, we understand that there is a manufacturer suggested use. Um, and so when you operate a tool or machinery according to the manufacturer's specifications and suggested use, you can actually accomplish something. And if you do it in a way different from that, you're going to hurt something. If you get a new chainsaw and you've never used one, you need to understand the manufacturer's specifications and suggested use so you don't show up at church missing a limb. Does that make sense? Yeah. So therefore, God in creation has told us how to conduct ourselves and so that I'm using this as an example that is an abomination to him now so therefore here as we look at this check it out he's saying that these two things are both an abomination to the Lord those who justify the wicked and this is interesting in the times that we live in now because now we got unfortunately we have Christians we have pastors and pulpits that are justifying the wicked because they've been given over to this liberal mentality and literally almost the whole Methodist church is justifying the wicked. And that's a dangerous thing. And we need to be careful with that. So he who justifies the wicked is an abomination, but likewise, he who condemns the just is an abomination to condemn the just, the just we're talking biblically. Now, what is the just, the just are those who are walking upright before the Lord those who have come to the Lord in faith and therefore he's deeming them to be righteous. So for those to condemn them, that uh, also is an abomination to the Lord because God hates that. He hates a proud look. And so we look at the way the world is going now and even the just are being condemned, even being persecuted in a, in a way that's more heavy than we've ever seen. And for those who have come out of other countries where they fled, they will tell you that these things start very subtly and then they begin to gain traction. And before you know it, a whole society is overrun to a place, a point that you don't even recognize it anymore. And these are the things that are coming upon the, upon the earth now. We see these things happening. So these are the things that Solomon is pointing out, which we need to consider the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. As we know these things, we ponder these things, we meditate on these things, we, we store them in our hearts. And these Proverbs are going to speak to us as we need them, as we live our lives, they will pop up in your heart and mind and they will direct you because the Bible says that if we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct our paths and he'll use the Proverbs to do it. Amen. Yeah. I mean, these things will come back to you 
and you'll remember this moment and you'll apply these things because that's wisdom. You'll apply the word of God that you've received in your life and you will make changes according to it and that will cause you to grow and that will cause you to be called the wise and people will recognize that in you and God will continue to give you wisdom because to him who has more is given to him who has not even what he has has been taken away why because he's refused that's the fool the fool loses what he has because he doesn't do anything with it he doesn't take what God has given and put it to work and so a fool will hear the word and hear the word and hear the word and still go out and do stupid stuff because he's a, he's a hearer only. But a wise person will hear and then will do. And that's why he or she is wise. So we've heard. Now we need to go and do. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for your word that you've given to us, Lord God. And Lord, all of it is profitable for us. I pray that it would have its way in us, Lord, that you would cause our hearts and minds to retain it and that in an appropriate time, Lord, we will have it to lead and guide us through this life we live. Lord, I pray that as we go through this week ahead, that you would give wisdom to the individual, to the, to the family, Lord God, that's here as well. Um, Lord, if there's any that lack anything, Lord God, I pray that you would lead them and guide them in it, that they may be blessed this week until we meet together again in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's stand and sing.